space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, and welcome to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim. With me is Admiral Elliot. Hi there. And we're lucky enough to be joined by two of our emergency holographic co-hosts. Returning from last time is Angela. Good evening. And brand new to the show, Vicky. Hello. So we're we're back again to talk about time travel episodes, and it brings us to Probably the most famous episode of Star Trek, would you say? The Trouble with Tribbles? Yeah, like, we decided we'd do Trials and Tribulations for, like, the time travel. I mean, it's a, it is a great episode on its own, but we thought it's a great opportunity to do Trouble with Tribbles at the same time, do them both in one, because they're both good fun episodes and they both play into each other. Yeah. If not regarded as the best episode, I think usually when they do polls of the original series, it tends to be... Trouble with Tribbles and um, City on the Edge of Forever, which we'll also cover in the time travel series at yeah. some point. Uh, but it tends to be them too. But I think this one's probably better known, you know, in terms of wider popular culture. Like, I think everybody knows what a Tribble is. Yeah, I think popular cult- culture knows what this is, whether you're tricky or not. Yeah. So it's going to be a good one to have a look at. Before we get going on that, though, as I said, Vicky's new to the show. So, Vicky, can you tell us a bit about sort of where, what Star Trek is for you, how you got into it? Uh, yeah, I've been watching, I'm more of an original series fan. We. So, um, I don't claim any knowledge about anything beyond the original series, but I really, really enjoyed watching Trials and Tribulations. Yeah. Um, and actually made me want to watch more of Deep Space Nine, which was a bit of a revelation, really. You should um, do. Deep Space Nine's awesome. Things geek, though, which is how I know you guys. That tends to be how most people know us. So, uh, yeah. First of all, The Trouble with Tribbles. Um, original series, then it's season two, so you've got Kirk rocking his green... Whatever pajamas. that was. Yeah, pyjamas, basically. It's mm. a weird one that it, it sort of turns up now and again, but then kind of disappears. Yeah. There's a period where he wears the green one more than anything else. Yeah. So ma- mainly sort of in season two. Um, but but that obviously, this sort of iconic image of him with all the tribbles piled over him is the green, green tunic and everything. So... It's, as I say, really, really kind of famous episode, and it's the first one, really, that they out-and-out played for laughs. You know, like... Yeah, even the soundtracks played for fun. Yeah, like, there was always humour in Star Trek, but this one is an out-and-out comedy, and, like, you can see, before we get into it properly, like, I want to give William Shatner a bit of a call-out, because, you know, I know it's an ongoing joke that, Shatner's not the greatest actor, and I'm not suggesting that he's, you know, your Patrick Stewart level or anything, but you can see in this episode, he is playing it differently, he is playing it for laughs, he's playing it comedic, and he's actually hamming it up in this episode, whereas, you know, people talk about him hamming it up all the time, but 
he doesn't, you know, th- there is a difference between William Shatner being hammy and William Shatner. Well, I, I, I thought the way this episode played out, Kirk obviously woke up in a bit of a grump that morning. <laughs> He's quite short-tempered with everybody. He's downright rude to the Federation Undersecretary. Yeah. Um, and, and, like, to be fair, he has got reason. Like, they've been summoned there on a priority one distress call. Which oh, is absolutely. that you? Is that you? Imminent danger if not you've already under attack. Well, exactly. But it makes him sort of more immune, if you like, to the tranquilizing sedative effects of the contributors <laughs> and such. So his bemusement at what is going on around him, he's not caught up in this this triple Exactly. Um, so you know him him being like that work, works the story perfectly and gives an outside viewer a complete bemusement as as to well, what the heck is going on? Why is everyone behaving like this? Yeah, it's... I think it's also a really nice opportunity to see some of the mundanity of the absolute garbage stuff that he has to deal with and how frustrated he becomes with it. Yeah, it like it, it opens with him uh, with Chekhov as a junior officer mm. sort of quizzing him about where they're going and the star systems and yeah. What he knows about it, and and he comes up against the wall because it's Chekhov who thinks the Russians discovered everything. <laughs> that was a bit of a running joke through the whole series. Yeah, it really it really plays in in this episode though. Like right from the start, you've got mm. they're going to SAR system something. Yeah, it was discovered two hundred years ago by a Russian. Yeah. The the wait, yeah, it was a Russian <laughs> whiskey, a little old lady in Moscow. <laughs> or the, the the casual racism that Chekhov exhibits that was completely acceptable in the 60s totally wouldn't fly now um, but uh, yeah it's uh, it's interesting it, it did make him look quite cute if you know um, there were um, for like Star Trek 2009 when um, oh, what's his name Anton Yelchin yeah, Anton Yelchin. Right, he's actually Russian, but he had to ham up a Russian accent to mimic Chekhov from the original <laughs> series. They didn't want his actual Russian accent. Yeah, like, because Chekhov were... He was sort of brought in, supposedly, for the ladies, wasn't he? Like, it was meant to be... It was meant to look, meant, look like one of the monkeys. Meant, yeah. Yes, yes, little Davy. Yeah, it was brought in as eye candy for the girls to get girls watching it as well. Well, let's see how that stands up. Right, to... how did that work for you, Angie and Vicky? <laughs> no, I, I, I was, I was, I was a spockophile. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's Shatner for me. That man can do no wrong, <laughs> especially, especially in those plots and that nice tight green top. <laughs> Funnily enough, when I was watching um, an episode to prep for this show, um, Chloe, my wife, was watching it with me and she was sort of, William Shatner came on and she was like, yeah, all right, it was a bit fit, wasn't it? <laughs> and that's something I never thought I'd hear her say, but um, there you go. So moving on from how lovely William Shatner is, we get uh, the priority stress call and everything, and yeah, this is basically they've got to defend this grain, which I think that sort of ties into what you were saying, Vicky. That it's 
it, this is fairly mundane. This is not um, an exciting mission, in theory, for the Enterprise. It's pretty bureaucratic, pretty run-of-the-mill. <laughs> well, they're still dis- developing the Federation at this point in mm. sort of timeline. Yeah. And they've got this planet, and they need the grain to actually get the planet work going with with food crops for settlers so it's actually a really really important mission the battles and all that in space are actually the things that shouldn't be happening this mm. is actually the important stuff yeah that's true it's not as exciting it's, not, as, like, it's, it's not as exciting for us to watch no well, well Kirk seems pretty unaware of the, the politics um, you know given given the situation that he's in he's He's the, 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 the starship captain. They've been out of the area. They're not involved in local politics very often, unlike your more modern captains. Um, actually, actually, original series, they were even more so for the, like, for the local politics because the Federation wasn't as spread out with all the ships. So, well, is like, a, a starship captain, be, their quadrant, they'd be literally uh, judge and jury in that area. It's, and the police, everything. It's sort of a running joke, isn't it, in Star Trek, that they're meant to be boldly going, but they always go to planets where there's already an Earth colony on it, and they don't tend to actually find new life and new civilization that often. But, um, but yeah, yeah. apart from the Horta. Oh, yeah, the Horta were cool. So that's one we should come on. So we can't really fit that one in a time travel, but not yeah. in this series. But yeah, we'll right. get we'll get we there. Before there's seven hundred and odd episodes, so I'm <laughs> sure we'll have other series. <laughs> yeah, doctor, not a midwife. Yeah, um, so like talking about Kirk being a bit, you know, not up for it and everything. He as soon as they get there, he goes to bar. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Oh, Mind you. Actually, we do find out in the next episode there's not actually a lot on this station. There's literally the bar and that office is not and the rest is storage of the station, so there isn't a lot actually to this station apart from the bar. That's true. So, yeah, and that's where we get, um, what's he called? Cyrano Jones. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's... I want to talk about a hammy actor. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm surprised he never actually cropped back up, you know, like how they did with Mud. Yeah, he's... he's... Or, or, or he could, you could have almost put Mud into his his character position. Yeah, you could have done. It's and I think, Is it the next episode where Mud comes back anyway? Or it was, it yeah. was, it was very it, close. close. And um, yeah, it could be, it could have been him. But yeah, you have that, it's a little bit later in it where they have the fight. And you've got Cyrano Jones is sort of prattling about pouring himself drinks and yeah, yeah, yeah. There's quite a bit before the fights. Yeah, and mm-hmm. he's this is where we get the the introduction to the Tribbles then, and they are just a ball of fluff that coos, <laughs> which is <laughs> you know it's a it's an iconic design. We'll we'll go with that, and it's. It's an easy one to... I mean, obviously, Angela's got a professional-looking one there, but, you know... Oh! <laughs> Sorry, I'll switch him off. No, no, he can, he can join in. He's obviously excited that we're talking about his episode. <laughs> oh, that's... Sorry, I'm jumping ahead now, but um, just because I was calling you Tribble Heat, I like the bit where Burns is talking about him and he goes, 
they're bisexual, Captain, meaning they can reproduce at will. And you're like, what? Is that what bisexual meant in the 60s? Because... <laughs> Yeah, I did. I did flag that one up. Um, what what got me was the uh, the, the the bartender um, chap it was remarkably Ferengi like. Yeah, he had yeah. The, the the outfit that wouldn't have been out of place at Quarks. Mm. He definitely had the ears. Yeah, uh, all dealing. Yeah, I'll buy this this and I'll buy that and. I'll buy it for six units and sell it to her for ten, yeah. Mind you, like we say, on the station, there's literally just the bar, so it, pro- it probably is a bit of a dealer to everything. It's in just drinks. Oh, yeah, well, he clearly is, isn't he? And well, he obviously is, but... And obviously this raises the question of what's a horror going to buy it with if we don't have money in the Federation, but I don't think we'd quite decided on that at this point. Yeah, it's still a very dubious one, isn't it? This money. Mm. And it like, is. That, like, I think yeah. Picard tried to describe it as to don't pursue wealth anymore. Yeah. And so you almost get the impression that there is money, but they're not really trying to. They don't need it. It's not a societal driver. Yeah. Yeah. I always imagine, yeah, that, like, they don't use it within the Federation, but if they go to places, worlds, whatever, they can give them a bit of currency to to be able to interact, you know. But yeah, but yeah, well, then, it make, then it makes you wonder if, um, like, when they do go to other worlds, if they're printing the own currency off to give to the crew, does that mean that they're diluting the uh, currency yeah. of the other worlds to visit? They destabilize the economy everywhere they go. <laughs> Well, because the, um, the, the 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 space fleet, the star fleet, is 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 based on the navy, and of course, on a boat or in a sub, you've you've got nowhere to spend your money. Yeah. You you have your your bed and board taken out of your salary. You're looked after. There's nothing else to spend it on. Your status is your stripes or the size of your cabin or who you have to share it with. Um. And and that sort of follows quite well. So they they wouldn't carry cash around, would they, on a boat, and no. therefore not on a starship. So yeah, yeah I mean, that's a really interesting point. I've never thought of that. Yeah, yeah it, people that work in the forces, when you're on assignment, you you don't see money. It's not an important thing. You have yeah. you have your meals and everything else prepared for you. Presented for you, um, and and actual money is is something that you you don't even think about day to day. So, you know, this, the starships would be the same sort of thing. So, yeah. possibly, you know, there is a salary, but it's it's not as important because you know hunger and people don't go without, and uh, and you've got your holodecks and yeah, you know, healthcare and and everything else, especially healthcare because the Americans are there, like <laughs> so, so, um. Yeah, it's there, it's just not not as important. Yeah, and then I suppose when you do come to a space station and there's a geezer selling a Tribble, you're like, well, I can afford a Tribble, I've got loads of this money saved up, so... <laughs> but of course, Ahura gets the, the Tribble for free, she doesn't have to... Um... Yeah, and, and like, she obviously ruins it, don't she, for Suno and the barkeeper, because like, she gets the Tribble, it has kids, and she, like, within hours she says, oh, well, they must be old enough, and gives them away. 
Like, what's your base in that? That on that scientific knowledge well, that yeah, these uh, kind of couple of hour old babies are fine to leave the mother. Yeah, I, I, I did wonder about that. Yeah, she's like, well, they look old enough, it's fine. The Tribble's there, like, gasping for its mother's milk, and it's like, ah! But, you know what? They did all right. They, they managed okay, apart from all the ones that get poisoned, but... Now, I like the bit where the uh, the Klingons are introduced, like, they, they have all their, you know, go to Red Alert and all this, and then... Kirk does a video call with the guy on the station and he's like, well, the Klingons are sat here with me and the camera pulls back to reveal yeah. the Klingons. Like, the, whoever's in charge of the video cam has got a good sort of sense of drama because they're like, we'll, we'll hold off the reveal of the Klingons until it's pertinent and then we'll go dun-dun-dun. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, it's this, like, with the Klingons. What the claim here, like, they claim that they've got shore leave rights mm. on Federation on now on sort of border territories due to the Orgonian Peace Treaty, which is obviously from um, from the oh. the first episode. Yeah. Oh, what is no, it's from, no, it's from the Errand uh, of Mercy. Yeah, the first Klingon episode. Yeah, but that was literally to stop a war. There was that they weren't allowed to fight anymore. So it's very bizarre that they said, well, the Orgonian Peace Treaty gives us rights to your shore leave facilities. Well, the Orgonians obviously, like, made that decree and broke and up the war. And then sent them an email afterwards with all <laughs> the the bits and bobs of it and amendments and yeah. everything like, like that. To say, like, to say it stopped a galactic war, the, Orgo- the Orgonians, this is the only time it's actually mentioned in an episode in use. Which, for the original series, that's it, it's a decent bit of continuity, you know, they don't <laughs> often... They've actually used something. And wasn't it meant to be the same Klingon? This were meant to be Carl, but they couldn't get uh, John Colicos, the actor, so they came up with a new character, Kurloff. Um, I've got, I'll have to watch them all again, because Kirk actually talks to him that they have met before. Ah, uh, does he? Yeah. Right. Yeah, when he first sees him, he goes, ah, my dear, Captain R, Co- Captain Cole off again. Right. Yeah, so, he does. So that might be like a holdover from a previous version of the script then, if it was meant Possibly. to be Carl. And the good thing that comes of it, that they didn't get John Colicos, is that we end up with Carl Kang and Cole off, and we get to bring them into DS9 later on, which was really cool. Yeah, that was a great episode. Yeah, the Blood Earth. I, I think yeah. I think with Carr in DS9, it was sort of diminishing returns a little bit. Like, Blood Earth was really good, and then the Sword of Kaelas was sort of all right, and then they did that last one in Season 7 where he sort of glows out in a blaze of glory, and I, I didn't reckon much to that one, but the first time they brought him in, it was great. Oh, and the whole Dax thing. Yeah, that was it was really good, which... Oh, well, well, we'll get on to it when we get on to DS9, the thing about Dax. But, um, yeah, so we've got the Klingons on the station, and like you say, they're there for shore leave and everything. You get these funny scenes with Scotty where he's relaxing with his technical journals. Yeah, he's not... Yeah, he's sort of like, don't you ever relax? I am relaxing. And that's which some, is fair enough, if that's what he enjoys doing. Which, they carried that over with O'Brien as well. That's... Whenever you see him going on shore leave, he's always 
taking his technical manuals is that I think that's so he doesn't have to spend any time with Keiko, but <laughs> Yeah, possibly. Mm. <laughs> and then there's a good bit where like the Kirk's sort of seen all the tribbles and everything, and this goes back to what you guys were talking about, I'd been a bit irritable, like they say, Where are you gonna be? He says, I'll be in sick bay with a headache. And I thought he was just being psyche, but then he does actually go and get tablets for a headache. So. Headache. Yeah, he has been. In, he, like, I think he's got this right. He, he has woke up in a bad mood this day. Yeah, it's not Kirk's day, and it does get worse as the day goes on, really. <laughs> and this is where we sort of get introduced that the Tribbles don't like the Klingons, which becomes sort of a, a bit of a recurring thread with them, doesn't it? But. Um, that obviously sets us up for later on in the episode and everything. And then we get to the fight scene, which is... You get a lot of Kirk foo and the... I love the well, 60s fight. Which is amazing because Kirk's actually in the fight. No, but yeah. it's, you know, it's obviously that Starfleet standard fighting procedure is... Well, we do see that in, um, in Charlie X, one of the early oh. ones. Oh, yeah. When he takes him training, he teaches him a bit of Kirk Fu. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Can I just point out something that really stuck out uh, for the fight scene? Was um, the guy, the lieutenant in the gold top, mm. is, has stood in for Shatner in fight scenes previously. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean... The- Which links round to the DS9 episode in a bit, but... Yeah, I, I spotted him the first time I watched this when I was a wee girl, and went, "Oh, that's the stunt man." Yes. Yeah, I mean the dodgy wig and all. Yes. yes. What Shatner or the stunt man or both? Stunt man. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like this is one of the things with the original series, especially now that they've remastered the episodes and they've got them in like high definition, and we watch them on these massive screens. Is yeah, you notice straight away when the stuntman changes, and we get it even a bit in this fight. Um, like I think, Angela, you're probably onto something there. Like they've probably just got the stuntman to be an extra in the scene so that when he does the fight, it's fine. Um, what an amazing setup for the DS9 episode! Oh, it's great! Yeah, oh, it plays in brilliantly. And I love when Chekhov's like hitting that Klingon in the stomach and he's doing like the sort of like a Bugs Bunny thing with You know, it's just, I mean, it is ridiculous, but it's, it sort of goes back to because Star Trek was like an action adventure series in the 60s, there had to be a punch up every episode, you know, to get that sort of requisite bit of action in. But in this one, at least it's good fun. And I like that. The Klingon, he starts off by slagging off Captain Kirk and everything, and Scotty's like, leave it, laddie, Sit leave it. Yeah, yeah Chekhov, Chekhov wants to kick off straight away. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's, it's when he starts on the Enterprise that um, that it's too much for Scotty. <laughs> and then... Hold away as garbage. <laughs> and then we get the, the interrogation scene, which again, DS9's going to use, but I love the fact that Kirk has to get Scotty to repeat what they said. And he's like, oh. Is, uh, is it off the record? No, it's not off the record. Yeah. And it's all, well, they called you this and this and this. And, and, oh, and that's when you hit him. 
No, no. Yeah, and Kirk's like visibly a bit pissed off that they didn't yeah. step up to defend him. <laughs> so, yeah, he's sort of expecting his ego to be stroked. Like, oh, go on, tell me how you kicked off when this all had yeah. a go at me, but no. And there's a good bit of banter with Bones and Spock as well, where like Bones says he likes the Tribbles better than he likes Spock. <laughs> and. You get the visual gag as well, where Kirk sits on a tribble like it's a whoopee cushion or something. Yeah, yeah. Spock's, Spock's role in this episode was quite minimal. Yeah, I think it's quite funny. There's part where it's in the rec lounge and he's talking about the tribbles and he's going, "How uh, they have a soothing effect," and he, you can see him stroking it, getting happier and mellower uh, as he's uh, talking. He's going. And obviously they have no effect on me. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. For all intents and purposes, his role in that episode is just exposition, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And did anyone notice George Takei is not in this one at all? Yes. Yeah. Oh, no. I I can't remember what it was, but I think he was filming a film or something at the time. And this... Sort of ties in a little bit because in the DS9 episode, obviously, George Takei is not featured, but um, Voyager for the 30th anniversary one they did, they did that flashback one where they had uh, two boxes serving with Sulu. So, yeah, so so George Takei got his 30th anniversary celebration, (laughs) but yeah, um, we won't get on to the Voyager episode because that's a whole different conversation, but that's another time travel one. It is actually. Well, is it time travel? In it just yeah. in Tuvok's mind? Um, yeah, no. <laughs> right. Yeah. We'll get to it. it we'll it, get it's to It's arguable if it was time travel or not, but they definitely went back in time to. Yeah. Jennifer right to um, Excelsior. Yeah. Which was all a big mistake anyway, because it was somebody misremembered. Because uh, Tim Russ was an extra in Generations on the Enterprise B. Yeah. Uh, but someone in the Voyager writing staff misremembered him as being an extra on the Excelsior. So they created this whole episode and it, it wasn't there in the first place. <laughs> but, but anyway. You they, think like when they remembered it, they'd actually go back and watch like, Star Trek Six and see if he was in it. Or even look at the casting Star Trek Six well, was he in it. Do I actually go to Tim Russ, Tim Russ, were you in Star Trek Six? <laughs> But don't they? Just too easy. They do something really silly in that one as well. Like I'm pretty sure they kill, they kill one of the Excelsior crew, um, during that episode. But he's he's there at the end of Star Trek Six, so they they kill off a character who they shouldn't have done. Us anyway. We'll we'll do that episode another time. Sorry, I've um sending us off on a tangent. So. <laughs> All of this leads to, we get the famous scene with Kirk under the tribbles and the bouncing off his head and he's buried in a mountain of them and, you know, people have got memes to make about it for the rest of eternity. And Yeah, you have the undersecretary kicking off at him, I'll see you in a court-martial for this. <laughs> and this and is all your fault, you let the Klingons on board. And it is just, it's very light, isn't it? There's not a lot of danger and stuff. I mean, DS9 adds more danger to it, <laughs> retrospectively, but um, yeah. 
But yeah, it ends with that scene, and Sereno Jones' punishment is he's got to pick up all the tribbles. Yeah, well, you also get that, they discover that uh, Darwin, the undersecretary's assistant, is yeah. actually a Klingon. And they do it by... He's, po- he's poisoned the grain. It was off to kill everyone on the planet. Which, again, it makes... I know we've not defined the Klingons as well here, but you can't imagine too many operas about a geezer who snuck into the grain and poisoned it and... No, but it does also... It does say um, make it sort of like... The Federation's claim on the planet, which was sort of the whole point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, they yeah. have a viable claim on it and made it... Um, Make it livable for humans, then it means the Klingons can make that play. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. it also plays into um, Discovery, where we get um, Ash is transferred from, transferred from a Klingon to a human. Yeah, it does. But the so same true. process being used on Darwin here. Well, well, not not the same process because McCoy's tricorder could easily pick up the Darwin. Yeah, wasn't human. He said his his. His body temperature and yeah, they've obviously not been as thorough as they were with. But being Klingons looks a lot more human during this period of Star Trek. That's true. All he needed was all he needed was a shaven to take the black face off. Yeah. Well, this this period, these particular Klingons were infected with the um, thing from Enterprise. Yeah. Infected with the uh, with the argument. The augment disease. Yeah. Um, that was the episode Divergence. Yeah, they did a good job with that, with explaining it, and then Discovery threw a bit of a spanner in the works by being set in between and having mm, the other Klingons. Different again. Yeah. Maybe it was because, let's be honest, that what they did with Ash went terribly, terribly wrong, whichever way you look at it. So maybe they're like, right, we won't do that again. We'll take it a bit easier with this Darwin bloke. Yeah. I think the, men- the mental toll on Ash was, was un- unfathomable. It was a yeah. whole, uh, such a deep sleeper yeah. thing yeah, to do. Sure. Anyway, that was really, really dark and yeah. Chibbles is not dark. <laughs> and then, um, have you guys seen the short trek where you get the background to the Tribbles? No. Ah, we, we we won't spoil it then. No, we won't spoil one. it then by talking about the short trek. But yeah, there's what is it? One of the latest short treks as a um, what is it? The trouble with trouble with Edward is it? Yeah, the trouble with Edward, and it and it actually shows you how the create well how the tribbles became how they are for this right. episode, and it's it's really really funny. It's about ten minutes, fifteen minutes long. Yeah. Um, but it's it's well worth um, seeking out. I'm sure out. when Discovery drops, it'll be on Netflix. You would hope so. Yeah, they t- they, mm, they've not been consistent with releasing them on Netflix, have they? But Well, they did last time they did, but they didn't tell anybody. They just put it in the trailers. True. And uh, they are bringing out a Blu-ray with all of them on, apart from Children of Mars. Um, we, I'm not sure if that's getting a UK release, but we'll... We'll flag it up on the the Facebook page if they do, because I'm sure it's something that a lot of people would be interested in. Because it's it's not easy to watch them in the UK at the minute. <laughs> so should we move on then and look at the DS9 episode? Well, should we finish this because it like ends nicely, doesn't it? Oh, go on. We've discovered what's happened with the triples that they're being poisoned, but the Enterprise is still full of 
Tribbles at this point. The Klingons yeah. are being given six hours to leave. Kirk Bean's back, and there's no Tribbles to be seen. <laughs> so he starts questioning what happens, and you've got Scotty going, oh, well, it was Mr. Spock's idea. And Spock's going, yes, but right. Scotty did Don't it. the engineering. <laughs> <laughs> it's, well, I beamed them into the, as the Klingons went to warp, I beamed them all into their engine room, where there'll be no Tribble at all. <laughs> <laughs> Which just goes really well with the Scottish accent. It does, yeah, <laughs> it does. But the, um, the, the, the the slight horror on Kirk's face when he when he asks, "You didn't beam them into space, but it's all right to beam them into the Klingon engine room where they're yeah. not going to be treated in the best possible way." And yeah, they're probably all going to be shot down. And <laughs> given what we find out about the Klingons in the DS Nine episode. They've basically started a war here between the Klingons and the Tribbles that leads to the annihilation of the Tribble race, which, you know. Yeah. I wanted to ask about that. That was how I interpreted it. Well, it, it is actually explained, is that, in the short trek of why the Klingons yeah, have is. gone to war. Right. But yeah, the um, yeah, the which we're not going to ruin for you. It it, it it does mention that they're an ecological disaster waiting to happen. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. But yeah, it, it it is my take on it is that the Klingons have led a holy crusade against the Tribbles <laughs> and wiped them out. You know, which that's a film I'd love to see is the the Klingon <laughs> Tribble War, the Great Klingon War. That would be well, absolutely brilliant. Well, Odo does mention that later, doesn't he, in the next episode? Yeah. But, yeah, I would I would definitely be up for that. Um, so, in the DS9, then, so we start off, and we're saying this was, like, the 30th anniversary celebration, so they wanted to do mm-hmm. something. Yeah, this was 1996. Yes. <gasps> so they wanted... Yeah, that made us all feel old, Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, they wa- they wanted to do something to one of the original series, and this was not long after uh, Forrest Gump had come out, and it had used very similar technology to put Tom Hanks. Well, Forrest Gump had, had sort of introduced this technology because it won Oscars for it. Yeah, mm. and then the fact that Star Trek did it relatively soon afterwards on a TV budget and did it so well, it, you know, the, it really is an achievement. You know, now you well, probably even, yeah, even rewatching the episode now. It's it still stands it's up. Still, still stands up really well. Yeah, it absolutely. And it's it's, it's yeah. It Forrest Gump was nineteen ninety four, so this yeah. is two years after. Yeah, and it, it's really clever how they've gone through the episode and they've picked out the scenes where they can integrate people, but they've also managed to contain enough of the story that you could understand what's going on, even if you've not seen the trouble with Tribbles. And yeah. you still get that wrapped up and everything, but we also managed to tell a DS9 story around it. Yeah, it's mm. it's a very, very clever bit of writing. It is for, for 45 minutes, well, 42 minutes of TV, there's a lot happens. And yeah. It's wrapped up really nicely. And it's, it's brilliant. And, and the, the quality of the cinematography, the, the, the feel of everything from from the, the, the lighting and, and everything, the, well, it's just perfect. Like, they've obviously built new sets to do all this. Yeah. And they've had to build, like, the original series back up again. Yeah. Some of the sets, which is... I know there wasn't a lot to them, but just building a set in Hollywood does co- cost a lot of money. 
But I, mean, saw... I, had it, I had it up on my on my on my big telly, um, and was really watching closely for the the scenes where where stuff was sort of pasted together, and there wasn't much to be seen. It really no. was really, really well done. No, they've done it really well. You know the. the, the the lighting engineers working on that episode, I mean, regardless of all the special effects, but the lighting engineers, you know, the, the, the lighting of the original series episode is so very specific. Um, and, and, and the way that people are lit and the way the sets are lit, um, it's completely... Maybe got Peter Purvis in because he's an expert at oh, no. his kind of techniques and uh, lighting, isn't he? Absolutely. <laughs> Were you there at that weekend when we had Peter Purvis? Unfortunately, not. Oh, he's not. Oh, it was painful. Yeah, he he talks about Doctor Who scenes, but of how they kept changing the camera from one lens to another and putting this lighting and that angle. (laughs) He didn't actually talk about the episode. No, it was it was riveting stuff. (laughs) But he dragged it on through an hour like that. Yeah, he did, and. uh, well, Sorry, Peter, but it was awful. And when they wanted to do a close-up, they'd move the camera closer to us. Like, Whoa! Revelations, <laughs> Peter. I'm glad I gave into my hangover for that one, then. <laughs> <laughs> but how good was it to get Charlie back to play Darwin? Yeah, yes. Charlie's real. Yeah, that, yep. like, I, I don't, I, I'm not sure if it'd have worked as well without him. It, it's what it needed, that one person that they had yeah. yeah, tied it all together just nicely. I'll tell you what, he wasn't looking bad. That was supposed to be 105 years in between. Yeah, not too bad. Well, Klingon lived. So, you know, that was, that was pretty good. Yeah, we do know that Klingons have a much uh, longer lifespan than us. And it's already been established, like, in the, what was this, 22nd, 23rd century? Mm. That even then, we were living a lot longer. That's true, and you know, he's already been sort of modified from a Klingon to a human, so it's not inconceivable he might have had a bit more work done over the years to, you know, keep him looking reasonably youthful, but yeah. Before we... his choice of an alter ego name, though, Barry Waddle. Yeah. Not Klingon. (laughs) Well, no, he wants to blend in seamlessly, you know, he goes for a very mundane name, obviously. But before we even get to that, though, we've got this framing device of these agents um, interrogating Cisco, basically. And um, their names are anagrams of Mulder and Scully. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they're called, like, Bulmer and Klusky or, you know, something something like that. And there's a spin-off series of novels about these guys um, I've not oh, actually oh, oh, oh. read any of them, but I know I think there's about five or six books about uh, different things that they investigate and everything. And I like when they're, they're sort of talking to him and they're going, so you're not saying it's a predestination paradox? No, good, we don't oh, like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a yeah. joke, was it? No, we don't like them either. <laughs> no, that's like accountants. Yeah, auditors. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, you get the sense that like this is this is what usually happens in between episodes. It's the boring stuff we don't usually see is when they get interrogated. But right from the start, though, there's a clue that Barry's not who he says he is because he orders a Ragnarino. Yeah. Yeah. 
So there you go. It should have been alarm bells, but I suppose they all drink it in DS9, don't they? So well, they do by then because they're all friendly with the Klingons, are they? Are they not? Is this not where they've fallen out with them? Yeah, but we've already established like Cisco yeah. drinks Raptor Gino and. And Cisco, Ooh, and, uh, quite a few of them drink Raptor Gino. Yeah, I think it's because like, Bejol's got a 26 hour day, so you obviously need even better caffeine than your normal coffee, so it's. Yeah. We've got to go with Klingon. And I like that we just use the orb of time so that we don't have to faff about with how and why we go back in time and everything. Yeah, there's. Yeah, like, yeah, there's no massive explanation in this one, is there? There's no. Sort of this technology or anything. It, no, this is by space aliens. Yeah, and at the end, it's yeah. By that time, Kira had worked out how to send us back. Like, yeah, fair enough. Okay. Yeah, and that was it. Yeah, I think it's quite. Uh, well, she wasn't. Way. Yeah, she wasn't tempted at all to go back and free her people earlier to prevent all the deaths. And... No, because yeah. well, she... I think it's quite refreshing that there's no techno babble at all about how this works. Yeah, it is. It it it's sort of like it threw us back in time. Kira worked out how to bring us back forward, done. Yeah, and the ramifications of the fact that you could then use this orb to freely travel through time, we're not going to touch on time that. Time and space. Yeah, time and space. Let's but move 200 light years as well. Yeah, but we're not going to touch on that, that's fine. And you know what? Yeah, but we've got friends who do shows about uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, like the the... <laughs> The nature of this episode, I don't think you really... You don't need any more than that. We don't need ten minutes of the episode explaining. It's just... Well, it's, quite, it's quite refreshing, isn't it? It's yeah. yeah. These space aliens have a space crystal <laughs> that makes you go through time, and that's all you need to know. Yeah. But then when we have time crystals in Discovery, everyone loses their minds on the internet. But, <laughs> well. but there you go. So when, obviously, you get the bit we're going to go and we're going to infiltrate and you get the great bit where they're suiting up with uh, the old uniforms and they talk about the changing of the colours. and Yeah, and then Dax comes out and women wore less. Which is true. <laughs> now, she does have an amazing pair of pins, but that uniform was much less flattering on her than her regular jumpsuit, was my personal feeling. Am I wrong? Um, I mean, <laughs> she's not going to look bad, whatever she's wearing, really, yeah, is she? She, she? she does look good, does uh, Terry, pretty much in anything that yeah. you put her in. Now, why why do they cover up her spots? Um, because I don't think at this time Trills were known. But Curzon was knocking about, and yeah, you find out... Like, well... We do have that. No, it's before Curzon is this. Yeah, well, Curzon was friends with Kurloth and blah blah blah, and you find well, that out was after because um, she mentions one of the previous sources was friends with McCoy. Well, exactly. So McCoy's already had it off with one of the previous Daxes. So presumably, Trills. I I just don't understand why they covered the spots up. I mean, it's maybe not... because she was uh, going into Federation and the Trills weren't part of the Federation. Yeah, if she was infiltrating the Federation ship. Right, if there were no trills in Starfleet, yeah, yeah. That'd, that'd make sense. Okay, I'll go with that then. And there's the great bit, they're in the elevator and they don't know that you've got to press uh, the... Yeah. 
yeah, is it broken that keeps talking to it? Yeah, and I like even that they they do O'Brien and Bashir's hair differently. You know, yeah, some, so it looks sort of sixties-ish. Yeah, just little yeah, little bits of detail like that are fantastic. And then you get one of your first bits where we've got the triple scene with Serrano Jones selling it, and there's just Odo sat in the background. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's it's just so wearing a jacket of very similar um, quality to the one that Serrano's wearing to begin with. Yeah, yes. Those weird pockets on the on yeah. the tops of the shoulders and on the yeah. back. When they were yeah. like boobs on his back. <laughs> <laughs> For him and Wolf were wearing those. An interesting, an interesting sort of fashion statement from 2267. Yeah, yeah. because and I like the fact that because Klingons don't look like Klingons, Wolf can go down as a Klingon, but people no won't think he's a Klingon. Yeah, it's sort of in disguise. <laughs> yeah, it's really silly. Um, and then the the other bit you get with O'Brien and Bashir where the the repairing or the pretending to repair the thing, and it's oh, I, I'm just studying to see if the stress is getting to him. And yeah, <laughs> and O'Brien's oh, I'd appreciate if you don't tell anybody about this. And yeah, yeah, he pulls out a thing and everything goes up. Yeah. Yeah, where he says, like, and obviously what we're going to do is take this and leave it where it is. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's uh, Worf and Odo and the Tribble, and this is where you get the thing about, you know, we had a, a war against them and all this business. And Odo said, I haven't heard uh, the songs about the great uh, Klingon Tribble War. <laughs> and Odo just finds it funny that Worf hates it. He's like, what, are you scared of this? This little thing. <laughs> well, everyone tries to um, play on uh, play on Wolf's uh, uncomfortableness. Well, the, they you know, wind him up, don't up at the start of it, don't they? Or Brian and um, go about how he oh, smells. Oh, yeah. They're that you smell of lilacs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... Worf's probably not the kind of guy you want to be winding up too much, you know, he's, um, yeah. Well, in this um, place apart. well, O'Brien probably can, because, like, Worf delivered his, uh, daughter, didn't he? That's true, yeah. And then, um, there's, there's the weird bit with Bashir, and he's, he's great, great, or what he thinks might be his great-grandmother, and he's like, well, maybe I'm supposed to fall in love with her, and... Yeah, maybe it's a predestination paradox. Like, or, oh, he's such a romantic. Yeah, but that's not romantic, <laughs> that's, that's weird. That's romantic, that's just weird. That's weird. She could be my grandmother. Yeah, and it's oh, like... Oh, well, I better have it off with her, because I yeah. could be my granddad. But, but you know what, <laughs> Julian? <laughs> thing you think. Yeah, you might not be Julian, and you might <laughs> just, you know... That's, yeah, very weird. <laughs> and then the other one is Dax, when she's going on about, oh, he's so handsome in real life and blah, blah, blah. And, it, you know, the joke is that it's not Kirk, it's Spock. Yeah. But Terry Farrell is now married to Adam Nimoy, Leonard Nimoy's son. Oh, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. I did you know that? They married Dave. Quite good while, good few years now, and he does bear more than a passing resemblance to his dad, so... 
you know, that could be quite genuine that she was quite taken with Mr. Spock. Wow. Oh, noise. Yeah. So I have questions about her. Yeah. Because, um, to put it, put it nicely, she seems to have been a bit of a goer. Mm. Yeah. So is that sort of part of her character? Yeah, pretty much. She's yeah. Well, she's saying she's had eight lifetimes. The trolls are a symbiont race, right? So, like, the symbiont has had is in the eighth body by the time it stacks. So, but they maintain they maintain all the memories of all the previous hosts. So she has been around a bit. Yeah, so it's been a man, been a woman, and yeah, so it's very strange. So her sexuality is very fluid. Um, yes. Yeah, the the one that she's talking about that's had a thing with McCoy is like two lifetimes ago. Um two hosts ago for for her. But yeah, Dax is portrayed as quite a sex positive character. You you see that she has friends with benefits that she shares time with and whatnot, but she ends up ultimately with Worf. <laughs> Until she dies. And then she oh. dies. Oh. Vicky, I've watched all DS9 yet. <laughs> she gets better, though, because she's a trill. Um, yeah, true. But, yeah, it's um, yeah. there's no sort of slut-shaming with it or anything. It's very much presented as who Dax is, and there's no... She's been around the block so many times, it just really doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah true. It, just, it stood out to me, because, as I say, I've never really watched Deep Space Nine. Yeah, the, 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 the character of a trail. Oh, yeah, the, the, the character of a trail. DS9 is the one that I'd strongly recommend to watch. To watch if you've only watched, really watched TOS previously. Mm. Uh, DS9 is probably the best one out of all of you
Crusher is not. Mm. Which, at, at the time, the fact that they even kind of broached the idea of it that was, yeah, it was pretty, pretty out yeah, there. That, but that, that would have been eighty nine. Yeah, eighty nine, ninety. But the drills also looked very different in that episode. Yes, they did. Mm. Well, they did do um, makeup tests with Terry Farrell in that makeup from uh, Next Gen, but decided that the spots looked better. So there you go. And I think they look lovely on her. What, the spots? Yeah. Yeah, the spots are cool. I imagine there's probably people who've had tattoos done of that, and uh, I'm not going to do it, but, you know. Yeah, I, I imagine bet, there's people who've I got bet, that. I bet there will be, yeah. But they had to, like, apply them every day, didn't they? Like, you know, makeup-wise and... Oh, it's, yeah, yeah, she had a, a hell of a makeup job to have it. Because it's to keep them consistent as That's well, it, isn't it, yeah. Not as bad as Odo, though. No, Odo's like a full prosthesis, isn't he? Which, yeah. And same with, like, Michael Dawn. I know they, they refined it as they went along, but it, it took a long time for the wharf makeup. And Quark. Yeah, and Quark's one of the few Ferengis who has a back piece to his head, like he's got a full head thing, whereas the rest of them get to wear them little sashes so they didn't have to bother doing the, doing the, the stuff at the back. But, yeah. Anyway, we, we digress. So, um, the, this is where you get the great bit about the Klingons with Worf, where they say... Um, so what it says the Klingons have ordered, so where are the Klingons? And they're all sort of looking round. Because yeah. <laughs> they're never known so where. <laughs> and he says, like, we do not discuss it with outsiders. And yeah. I genuinely, legitimately think that should have been it. That, you know, because Yeah, it's, Enterprise didn't need to go back and fix that. No, it's... it's you, a can, win- you can understand why writers get the urge to do things like yeah. that. But it could have just been left as that but adult discussing with it's, outsiders. It's a little wink to the audience to go, look, we're not stupid. We know the Klingons look different. Can we just forget about it and move on? And Yeah, I like their sparkly trousers. Yes. Yeah, and the, I, mean, I like there was the... no heavy armour or anything. It was all no. sparkly trousers. Well, that's all it was in the 60s, though. The Romulans had a good line in sparkly costumes as well. <laughs> but yeah, and the women wore less. <laughs> oh, very much so with the Romulan women. <laughs> well, all all women space aliens wore less in the sixties. Yes, they really did, and android women. Yeah, and, and android women. Mm. Well, they had to show off all the beautiful uh, body makeup and body arts. <laughs> yeah, that's the reason. That's to be fair, it was. Uh, a lot of the women in the 60s wanted they felt empowered that they could dress like that. It wasn't actually a male thing. It was a women, the women, a lot of it, with the miniskirts. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah, think... I mean, we, we just, it's like how we look at it now, looking back, you think, oh, was it like a sexist thing and all that and making them sexual objects? But no, it was the women actually being empowered. Mm. Well, that's, that's what we just what you said. There's a lot of that there's been a lot of ground broken that probably most people aren't aware of, but that shows that spun off from Star Trek have really, really laid the groundwork for that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, as we talked about, like, with the trouble with Tribbles being (laughs) such a big 
cultural thing. There is so much of Star Trek that's just permeated into popular culture so much that, like you say, you don't necessarily realise it. You know, it's it, particularly yeah, it's with like, the original series, it's just sort of part it's of... It's like it's annoying when they've gone on about Picard, you've got like, some of the haters, Midnight Sedge, and they've gone about it being political and Star Trek never been like that. Star Trek was always political, but the Roddenberry hid it in a sci-fi drama and it got away with it. Um, that The TV show stations were pointing it out, not realising the political statements he was making at times, and it was really in your face. Oh, yeah. One exception to that, though, wasn't there? There was one episode that didn't get re-shown for a while. Oh, in the UK. There was some in the UK, weren't there, that they didn't show? Um, Oh, and there was... Was it Patterns of Force, the Nazi one? I know they banned that in Germany. Mm. Yeah. Um, The the, the, the one I'm thinking of that didn't get re-shown in the States, or most of the States, for quite a while, was the one where um, uh, they were under the influence of some guy, and it was the Kirk and Hurricane. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Completely forced. They were forced onto each other. It was quite horrible thing to watch. Um, But the fact that it was a white man kissing a black woman, that was the problem. It wasn't the fact that it was... That was a forced kiss. Yeah. I think... I think it was... Shown in parts of America again, but a lot of the South South America didn't show it again for a long time. Mm. Yeah, and it, you know, it's it does baffle belief when you think about it now that that was such a big thing. And there's a great sort of story behind it that um, apparently, like the studio, were very nervous about it, and they wanted to film an alternate take where um, Kirk overcomes the mind control and refuses to kiss Ahura. So that if they thought it was too risque, they they could use this alternate scene. And uh-huh. William Shatner, the way he tells the story, he says that he deliberately overacted the alternate scene to the point that they couldn't use it. And it's like, I'm sorry, Bill. You know, what what did that scene look like if it was Shatner? <laughs> it's one of them outtakes you'd love to see, in it? Absolutely. But um, obviously, ultimately, they did use the take and everything. But yeah, it is, like you say, this revisionist thing of, oh, Star Trek's never been political. Um, yeah, yes, it has, always. It clearly has. And things like having women in such senior ranks back in the original series, that was groundbreaking. Yeah. Well, well, well it's also the, uh, the different, it won't, like, it was also the different nationalities. Absolutely. Having, uh, bringing Chekhov in, having yeah. uh, Sulu there, having yeah, yeah. Uh, Uhura. Yeah, recent memory and, and having someone who looked Japanese yeah. was, was, was quite, um, quite a strong statement to make. Yeah, absolutely. Dare I say it was a bold step? Ooh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, where were we? Oh, we were up to the fight scene. Once. So, yeah. This is what we talked about. You get the fight scene and they've got the DS9 guys <laughs> integrated into it. And you have the bit where, like, Cyrano Jones is at the door, um, but behind him you see Davin doing a runner. And, you know, it's just so clever how they integrate everything. And mm. I love the lineup the bit, scene. Sorry, the, the bit Go where um, O'Brien says, that's Kirk, I'm sure it's Kirk. Oh, yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, and now she stuffed the ball. Yeah, that's brilliant. And it's this great idea that, well, obviously we know Captain Kirk is, but in the real, you know, if that was real and in that universe, it is... hundred years in the future, you can understand why. People would just know, yeah, he was, you know, he was a youngish man. Gold uniform. Yeah. Even though he was wearing green this day. Yeah, true. (laughs) But, and then... You get the lineup, and you've got Bashir and O'Brien in the lineup, and they make Bashir the guy who has to say "I don't know" to Kirk, and it's just brilliant. It's so cleverly done. So they're so well integrated into it. The whole, I mean, like, I do keep going on about the cinematography. I just think it's brilliant. Absolutely yeah, amazing. they have to did a great job of it. Yeah, and it's on the t- like we say to say Forrest Gump Grant broke this technology in 94 and it won Oscars for the effects. Yeah. Two years later on a TV budget, DS9 was able to do the same. It's quite amazing. And in a lot of ways, they're doing a lot more with it than Forrest Gump did. Like, you had Forrest Gump, he met the president. Yeah. uh, But it was in sort of newsreel footage, so they weren't (laughs) going for photorealistic with it, whereas this is going for photorealistic and it's having a lot more interaction between the the people in it. So, yeah, I mean, it's great, great, great stuff. And I love that it's O'Brien that Kirk picks on me. So O'Brien's always this guy who's really subservient to his commanders and he, he, he recognises the chain of command and everything and he's quite a, a timid kind of guy. And the fact that Kirk picks on him is going to really rattle his cage. You know, it's great. <clears throat> and then they bring in... This is where they're bringing a bit more stakes to it that there's a bomb in a tribble, which is just such a ludicrous concept, but it's brilliant. <laughs> and you is it really Darwin's gone mental. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, it's decided that if he blows Kirk up, he'll get his statue in the great in the Klingon Great Hall. Yeah, and he wants and a tribble in one hand, Kirk's head in one hand, and a tribble yeah. in the other. What an image. Yeah. <laughs> And this is the best he's come up with in a hundred odd years. I'm going to blow yeah. a triple up. I'm going to put a bomb in the storage container that that uh, drops triples onto Kirk's head. <laughs> yeah, and you get that great bit where Cisco and Dax are there chucking triples left and right. And but I don't know if you noticed this, but you keep seeing them chuck triples towards the hatch. Yeah, and it's the same colour triples that are dropping onto Kirk's head when it's one yes. by one. No, I did. I, yeah. Uh, so, it's, so it's like, it, oh, well so they're throwing the triple, like after the initial pile down, they're throwing the extra triples one by one onto Kirk. Yeah, it's just brilliant. On rewatch, on rewatch of the first of the trouble with triples, I was, I did think, I wonder who the crew member was sat behind that wall lobbing the triple yeah. at his head <laughs> because they must have been. I believe he was a little fractious on set at times. Yeah. So whoever it was was taking the life in the hands and then to to make it that it was actually other characters. I just thought it was really, really sweet the way they'd done it. Yeah, it's just such a, a lovely touch to throw in with it. And then, you know, that pretty much sort of wraps up the episode. Like they beam the triple out and it explodes, which no one seems to notice, which is a little Nobody bit... Nobody cares. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> we can let well, that they, go. They have sort of explained that how the sensors are as good as on the yeah. TOS Enterprise as what we, we used to buy the yeah. S9 times. We can let it go. And then you get Cisco goes to meet Kirk 
And this is actually from Mirror Mirror. The the scene they use is where Kirk goes to the Mirror Universe and he's got like she's basically the captain's sex slave. I can't remember what they, they call her, but that's pretty the much what sex slave is close enough. Yeah. And then at the end of Mirror Mirror, it turns out that the 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 prime universe version of that character is a lieutenant on the Enterprise. It's just, yeah, she's just transferred, hasn't she? And Kirk has that scene. So that's why Kirk looks really, really happy to meet Cisco. He, he's actually looking at this woman that he's had a, <laughs> a thing with. But again, it's just brilliantly it, it, it done. It does work. The dialogue transfers. They've done the dialogue right. Yes. Cisco meeting him in this scene, and it works. And I love that Cisco just admits, like, yeah, you know, I went to meet Kirk because, you know... It's Kirk. <laughs> and even, like, the, like, the investigator like, guys, me, like, me yeah. James are guilty of this. We paid £70 each to have seven seconds with him. Yeah, we did. And I've still got my picture. Yeah. Yeah. That time, we got seven seconds. It was, hi, thank you. Next. <laughs> yep. <laughs> see, that's that's why I won't do any other con other than SFW. <laughs> no, see, I this was I'm usually the same, but this one it was like uh, it, was, it was William Shatner. Yeah, and it you know I admit I got absolutely you know we paid way over the odds for it, but nah, you know once in a lifetime. Yeah, so. Several years later, we still brag about it. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> And then obviously, how what? How tall is he? He was sat down. They were in the captain's chair, so it isn't a wig. I don't think it is now. I think it was in the sixties, and then I think he had hair transplants in the seventies. But um, yeah, <laughs> anyway. And then the obviously the final gag of the episode is that they've somehow brought the Tribbles back with them. Well, Odo brought a Tribble back and the station's flooded with them. Yeah. And you imagine, well, as I was going to say, maybe Quark's going to start selling them, but there's millions of them, so... You can't sell them. Yeah. They don't have any value. Yeah, you can get away with... You can sell your first one when you arrive somewhere. Yeah. And that's it. So you need to really knock the price up of one of these if you're going to try sell them. Yeah, you've got to, it's kind of a one and done thing. You've got to make sure that your first triple makes you all your money and then you're done. Or, or maybe just find a way to sterilise them. Yeah, well, again, watch your short Trek episode and you might get a bit more information on <laughs> how triple... Yeah, um, you could, if you... You probably can find it online to stream somewhere. Yes. I'll just ask Google, how do I sterilise oh. a triple? <laughs> anyway, while I was um, while I was uh, doing a bit of research, I remembered uh, a novel that I'd read as a kid mm. um, that had a song in it that Uhura sang for Kevin Riley. Oh, yeah. Um, and basically she's, she's, well, she's singing it to Sulu, but Kevin's there. Um, and it's, I'll, I'll sing you a song of Cyrano Jones, redoubtable space trader he, scourge of the Klingons and bane of James Kirk, blithely he wanders the galaxy, trading tribbles and flame gems and gleaming glow water to poor hapless tourists like me. 
So the trouble with triples, the trouble with triples, they don't come in dribbles or dabs, but in boxes and barrels, and soon the world narrows to nothing but triples and you. Um, there, there is a second verse, but uh, <laughs> that's the novel Pawns and Symbols. Ah, that was very... Reminded me like a lot of the Hobbit songs from Lord of the Rings and stuff. It had that sort of that sort of cadence uh, in, to in, it. Interestingly, Leonard Nimoy had a hit single with Bilbo back. He did indeed. <laughs> he he did. had a whole album. Yes, <laughs> which my mother had. I've got an album um, where it's the best of Shatner and Nimoy, and half the album Shatner and half the album's Nimoy. Oh. Bilbo Baggins is that on there. Awesome. It's pretty good. <laughs> I think it's I on do. Spotify. Yeah, the the Nimoy album had things like Music to Watch Girl, Space Girl, yes. and um, he, he did a good cover of Walk the Line, the Johnny Cash song. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so, yeah they're, they're all at it, really. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, what's his name? Brent Spiner's got an album. Mm-hmm. But, see, multi-talented, these Star Trek people. But at least Shatner admits <laughs> they can't sing. But anyway, guys, shall we wrap it up there then for Tribbles? Um, but if you want to see more Tribbles, there is the animated series episode and there is the short track that we've mentioned. Yeah. Um, I'm going to find the short track episode immediately. Go yeah. for it. The Trouble with Edward. Trouble with Edward, Ed- yeah. Trouble with Edward, thank you. And um, yeah, thank you to Angela and Vicky for coming on the show. Um, yeah, so if you want to get involved in the show, let us know. We're on Facebook. Re- search for Retrek. You'll find us on there. We're on Twitter at RetrekPod. Or you can email us retrekpod at gmail.com. Thanks for trekking with us. And we'll see you next time on the Retrek.